I want to start out by saying I'm actually talking about the shepherds this week. Last week was Joseph, and um, apparently we didn't get that changed in the script before we got here. Um, So today is the final of four sermons that has looked at prayer through the people who have gathered in the stable at Bethlehem on Christmas night. Yes, I know Christmas was so last week, and in the church calendar, we're still in the Christmas season. I know some of you have already put away some of your Christmas decorations because I've seen it on Facebook But the Christmas season lasts until Epiphany, which is January 6th, 12 days after Christmas. So today, we're looking at prayer through the shepherds. There is a children's book called The Grumpy Shepherd. It tells the story of three shepherds in the field at night, on the night of Christ's birth, Joram, Obed, and Josiah. Joram was known for being especially grumpy. The other make... The others, too, would make fun of him for his constant complaining. Although, if there ever was a reason to be grumpy, life as a shepherd would certainly have been one of those. A very good reason. First century shepherds were typically at the lower end of the socioeconomic ladder. They were usually uneducated. And since they lived among the animals in the elements, they often smelled like dirty sheep. They were men who lacked the most basic manners and who used language unfit for children. People did not find them typically enduring. We think of them as being those, you know, the sweet shepherds that came to the stable. People in the first century did not think that they were sweet. Most of the world would try not to be near them. I suspect they may have looked a lot like many of the people we see living on the streets in our major cities. Maybe like some of the people that receive lunch and necessities through our PB&J program who deliver sandwiches once a month to people living in the streets of Detroit. The fact that Joram was grumpy was not surprising. It was more surprising if all the shepherds didn't find their life a cause for grumpiness. Day in and day out, spending their nights in the fields with sheep was a pretty difficult and boring routine. The shepherds did not spend their nights waiting for something exciting to happen because, well, it didn't. There might be the once in the blue moon, a shooting star, or the occasional birth of a lamb, but there was nothing that exciting until that night. They were in the fields, maybe sitting around a fire, maybe having a drink from their hydro flask or their Yeti mug, when suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared. The shepherds were startled wide awake. They were afraid and terrified. Then the angel said, As these angels always say, do not be afraid. Really? Do not be afraid. I bring you good news, wonderful, joyous news for all people. For born this day in the city of David, a Savior, the Messiah. These shepherds who would not be welcome in any establishment of the time were tonight being sought out by God to be the special guests at a world-changing event. It would be fair to say that the shepherds hadn't carefully studied scripture. It wasn't an expectation that they would be able to quote it. But even they knew that the people were waiting for a Messiah to arrive. A Messiah who would save the people from oppression. The shepherds, even the grumpy ones, decided to go see this thing that had happened. There is a lot of speculations about why the shepherds were the first to know. It could be because Jesus came for all people, including the disenfranchised of the world, 
those considered lowly. It could be because it was the middle of the night and they were the only ones awake. Maybe it was because they would respond. They weren't too busy. They weren't too good for the dirt of the stable. They were just waiting for something to happen. They were so excited that something had happened in their field that night and they were not going to miss out on the opportunity to be part of it. Imagine if an angelic messenger showed up in our world today. Would anybody notice? Would we believe that something miraculous had occurred? Or would we be so busy, so exhausted, too cynical to believe it was worth going to see? But the shepherds went. They saw Jesus. They told their story of the angels they saw, and the people who heard their story were amazed And I imagine that when Mary and Joseph heard their story, if they needed any assurance about whether or not God was still with them at this point, about whether or not they were really giving birth to the Messiah when the shepherd showed up, they were assured. Although The Grumpy Shepherd is a children's book, Joe Ram's response to meeting Jesus is one that I think we can all learn from, and this is what he says, My Lord, my King... You are here, and I look at you, and I don't feel lonely or sad any longer. You have taken that away. I have hope and love in my heart, and you have put it there. And then he says, forgive me for being such a grumpy old fool. Of course, we have no way of knowing if that is what the shepherds really felt. But I do think they must have understood that they were part of something that was incredibly unique, incredibly special, incredibly powerful. They left the stable and headed back to the sheep in the field, praising and glorifying God as they went. Praising and glorifying God as they went. Year after year, we gathered to celebrate Christmas in church with loved ones or at home around dinner tables. Or around Christmas trees, we sing songs of praise like joy to the world, repeat the sounding joy, wonders of his love. We usually say a prayer of thanksgiving for all that God has done for us through the gift of Christ in our lives. But the biggest question is, do we carry that joy and excitement into the world so that people can see it? Do we go from this place back into the world praising and glorifying God for what God has done? Most of the Christmas celebration activities and expectations have very little to do with Jesus. So the praise that we feel when we get here is important to take with us. And perhaps praise and glory needs a bigger place in many of our lives. The shepherds show us the best response to seeing Christ in our lives, not just the first time, but every time. The best response is praise. It should be a priority in our days because praising God keeps us alert to God's gift. It keeps us from becoming too independent. Praise keeps our relationship with God in perspective. When we praise God for the things that we have in our lives, when we give thanks every night for the day that we were able to live and give thanks every morning for the new day we just received, we remember who it all comes from. Praise has no specific form you have to do it in. It's remembering who we are praising that's important. Praise can happen in worship as a community or even as an individual. When we sing praises, it can be a form of prayer. 
When we are moved by the music of worship, it can lead us into an attitude of praise. The role of the worship leaders is to point us to God. The choir sings, Kyle leads, Yawan plays amazing piano. The leaders like Rachel and Nancy and George today do what they do not for their own glory, but to help us be pointed to God, to give God glory. Worship is a form of praise. Singing songs, writing poetry and prose, painting a picture, dancing from your heart, writing a blog are all things that can be done as prayer and praise. If these things express your gratefulness to God, if they are the expressions of your heart to give thanksgiving to God for all things, if they grow a true joy within you, they are prayerful praise to God. And of course, you can always sit quietly in God's presence or sit and count your blessings. It's unlimited how we can practice praise and prayer in our lives. It's important to maintain our constant relationship with the one who puts us here. It's important for our hearts, but it's also important for our neighbors to see that you, who identify as a Christian, are indeed living in a relationship with God through Christ. It's also important because it allows you to focus on joy and gratefulness every day. Reverend James Harnish, in an Advent study that he wrote several years ago, says this, God did not come down to earth in Jesus Christ to make life just a little bit better, but to save us from an existence that is less than life into real life itself. God came down in Jesus not to prepare for the next world, but to set us free to live in this world the way Jesus lived, which was costly way of reconciling love, relentless hope, reverberating joy, God came down to save us from violence by showing us the way to peace, to save us from greed by showing us the way to compassion, to save us from addiction to narrow self-interest by showing us the way to self-giving love, to save us from sin by showing us the way to forgiveness, to save us from death by showing us the way to life, to save us from sorrow by showing us the way to joy. Praise is the only acceptable response. The song Joy to the World was written by Isaac Watts in 1719. It was inspired by Psalm 98. 1719. How many people still think Joy to the World speaks to you? 1719. What a wordsmith this man was. This psalm traditionally often included, Psalm 98 is traditionally included on the Christmas Day services because it's a psalm that celebrates the work that God is doing on earth. And here it is. Sing to the Lord a new song because he has done wonderful things. His own strong hand and his own holy arm have won the victory. The Lord has made his salvation widely known. He has revealed his righteousness in the eyes of all nations. God has remembered his loyal love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. Every corner of the earth has seen our God's salvation. Shout triumphantly to the Lord, all the earth. Be happy. Rejoice out loud. Sing your praises. Sing your praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of music, with trumpets and a horn blast. Shout triumphantly before the Lord, the King. Let the sea and everything in it roar, the world and all its inhabitants too. Let all the rivers clap their hands. 
Let the mountains rejoice out loud together before the Lord, because he is coming to establish justice on earth. He will establish justice in the world rightly. He will establish justice among all people fairly. I've started reading the Book of Joy. It's a conversation between the Dalai Lama and the Archbishop Desmond Tutu. They're good friends. In the introduction, the question is asked, is it really possible to be joyful even in the face of our daily troubles? From frustration with morning traffic to fears of not being able to provide for our families, from anger at those who have wronged us to grief at the loss of those we love, from the ravages of illness to the abyss of death, how do we embrace the reality of our lives? Deny nothing but transcend the pain and suffering that are inescapable. And even when our lives are good, how do we live in joy when so many others are suffering? When crushing poverty robs people of their future, when violence and terror fill our streets and ecological devastation endangers the very possibility of life on our planet? The whole book is the answer to the question, so I haven't got the answer yet. But I think when the angels announce good news for all people, they mean all people. The shepherds, you and me, the whole world we live in, even in the midst of the mess that we are in. Psalm 98 helps us answer that question. God has not left us alone in the world. God continues to do great things even today. And our response should be praise and joy. God will establish justice in the world rightly. God will establish justice among all people. Rejoice out loud. Sing your praises for all that God has done and continues to do and will do in our world until God's kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.